This summer is knowing God, and the sovereignty of God is our focus this morning. Obviously, not an easy subject and without its uh, various thoughts. A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I believe that's so true. And I realize coming into a congregation like this that there are some of you that haven't even probably appropriated the grace of God and known Christ. Others are new in the faith. Some of you are very seasoned biblical students and saints of God. But I think I can say this in my years of experience and studying the scriptures, is I don't know of a doctrine that will help you get through pain, suffering, sickness, disappointments, and eventually death, like the sovereignty of God. Psalm 103 is where it's gonna be really a, a launching pad. And it's a psalm we often think of at Thanksgiving time where he just goes uh, from verse to verse Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits for me. And he talks about redemption and provision and healing and so many things. Then he lifts up his voice to God saying in verse 19, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. I think of a proper view of God on his throne will make us realize that his service is our greatest privilege. I see some of you young people and children out there with your lives in front of you. And my hearts go out to you and I hope you know that if you serve the Lord with all your heart, That'll be your greatest privilege in life. His precepts are our ornaments. We wear them gladly as a badge of honor. Obedience to him is our greatest honor. Now this answers the question, at least to me, as to who sets the rules, who sets the boundaries. Deep enough something snarls throughout life no one tells me what to do. St. Augustine remembered stealing pears only because it was forbidden to do so. Two phrases you've heard, and I don't know who's original with it. So short, so true. He is God, and you're not. Some add, get over it. Which seems a little bit stern maybe great truth he is God he's on the throne you're not and if you are a wise person you will submit to his sovereign rule over your life the better part of wisdom let's look first at what I call the exaltation of his sovereignty the Lord is sitting on his throne. 
I think this verse, along with many others, establishes the person of God as the sovereign ruler of the universe. And his sovereignty is simply that attribute by which he rules his entire creation. Now, if you're thinking this morning, to be sovereign God over heaven and earth, there are at least three truths essential to his dominion. We'll cover them later in more detail this summer. But the three truths that, you, that must be part of his character, of his personhood, if he is truly sovereign, first of all, are the all-knowing or the omniscience of God. Isaiah chapter 40, it's page 600 in the Bible in front of you in your chair. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? The answer is clear, nobody. Here we say God is incomprehensible. We love the imminence of God. We love the Lord is with us. We love Emmanuel, God with us. But there's also the transcendence of God. And that is he is so far beyond us. I, I feel like an old man that when I put my foot in the water of the ocean after studying this for over 50 years and preaching it, that the amount of water I displace with my toe in the water and then looking out at the vast ocean is my knowledge of God. No wonder Paul cried out. 30 years after he came to faith in Christ, maybe the greatest Christian of all time, oh, that I may literally get to know him. I think he's saying, I don't know him like I ought and like I want to. For God to be absolutely sovereign, he must have absolute control. And to do that, he must know everything. If there's one bit of knowledge that God does not know, one fact, one piece of information not known to God in all the universe, he cannot be sovereign. Jesus goes... As far as to say, he knows the number of hairs on our head. How can that be? How can there be someone so omniscient that in this world of over 7 billion people and everyone who's ever lived, he knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows our span, when we were born, when we will die. He knows the home I was born into. He knew that you would be sexually abused in that home. He knew your dad would walk out on you. He knew you'd have a deformity. He knew you'd have a handicap. He knows everything. Nothing is beyond his knowledge. That ought to be great comfort to our hearts, not fear. Secondly, if he's sovereign, he must be all-powerful. If the first relates to his omniscience, the second relates to what we call his omnipotence. He's all-powerful. Again, listen to Isaiah 40. 
Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as dust on the scales. Before he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power. Not one is missing. When we come to the New Testament, we find Paul writes of this, of the Lord Jesus. He's before all things, and in him all things are held together. If it weren't for his omnipotent power, everything would collapse in the universe. I love that video by Nicole Mull, and I watch it a lot. It touches my heart every time. Who taught the sun where to stand in the morning? Who told the ocean you can only come this far? Who showed the moon where to hide till evening, whose words alone can catch a falling star? And then she transitions, for I know my Redeemer liveth. Our Redeemer. He's the omnipotent God. He's the omniscient God, knowing everything, in power of everything. Nothing too hard for him. How great is that power? There are one atom floating around in the universe beyond his sovereign authority and control that he is no longer sovereign. Natural laws bound submissions. Nations are viewed as a drop of a bucket and small dust in the bounds. Great leaders are looked upon as grasshoppers, but with the Lord the nations are as nothing. Would you tell me what in the world we have to fear about with such an omnipotent God, an all-knowing God in control and sovereign. There's a third component to this exaltation of his sovereignty. It's what we call absolute freedom. By this we simply mean that God must be free to do whatever he wills to do anywhere at any time with anybody in order to carry out his eternal purpose in every single detail without interference. Were God less than free, he would be less than sovereign. So we say God is said to be free because no one and nothing can hinder him or compel him or stop him. Only God is absolutely free. A.W. Pink wrote it correctly. God always does as he pleases, when he pleases, where he pleases, with whom he pleases. Now you and I can talk about being free. We can talk about being free moral beings. We are free with limitations and reservations. Who among you can say, tomorrow I will do this? Boast not thyself of tomorrow. You don't know what a day brings forth. Only God can say, tomorrow I'm going to do this. Only God can look at a young man, a young saved fisherman, and say, someday you're going to be an old man. And not only that, but when you're an old man, someone's going to carry you to a place you don't want to go, Peter. By this he signified the death by which Peter would die. 
We don't have change. We're not behind prison bars, but we're still not free. God is only absolutely and totally free, except for his self-imposed limitations of his attributes. And the one limitation is God put voluntarily on himself is to say he can't contradict himself. So Paul would write Titus and he would say, God who what? Cannot lie. Why? Because he's the truth. You and I are liars. God is absolute truth. He cannot lie. One attribute cannot contradict another attribute. All attributes must complement one another under the sovereignty of God. He cannot violate himself. The psalmist speaks of his exaltation. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. And that's because he is absolutely free, all-powerful, and all-knowing. He's our sovereign God. But that raises a couple of questions, doesn't it? And that's where we go to the enigma of his sovereignty. While the sovereignty of God is clearly revealed in the Bible, nevertheless, there are some problems with it. And as you will discover, these two little problems I'm whittling it down to have been subjects of entire volumes being written about them. So our covering will be superficial at its best. But the presence of pain, suffering, and death probably all been asked the question in talking to others, well, if your God is a good and loving God, why would he allow sin, suffering, and death? Why are children born deformed? Why did I have a nephew that lived 28 years, never saw the sky, never heard a thing, never talked a word, and all he did was live in a wheelchair? Why would God allow the Holocaust? Why would he allow innocent men, women, old men, little babies and children be slaughtered? Why would God allow a famine in Africa, a tsunami in India, Tunisia? Why does he allow children to be abused? killed and raped and murdered? I don't know the answers to these questions that can satisfy any human heart. But I can tell you this. These things are not the results of man's doing something apart from the knowledge of God. Neither is God in heaven wringing his hands in reaction to what man is doing. And in his sovereign wisdom... God has permitted evil to exist in temporarily restricted areas of his creation, what we might kind call kind of a fugitive outlaw whose activities are temporary in duration and limited in scope. I know I've mentioned it before years ago in a message, but it's true. I heard on shortly after 9-11 a preacher on television say that God is not to be blamed for September 11th. And we agree with that. But then he said, and God could not have prevented the events of September 11th. And he got a standing ovation from the congregation of thousands. And I thought, what a pathetic and unique view of God. 
If I believe God couldn't have stopped anything that happened in this world to me, to my family, or to anyone in the world, he would not be worthy of worship. He would not be sovereign. He can do anything he wants to do. He can restrain anything he wants to restrain. He can stop anything he wants to stop from happening. He's done it through history. Sometimes he hasn't, but in all things it is his will. We can say with certainty that God acts according to his infinite wisdom and goodness, and more than that, no one knows at the present. And more than that, no one needs to know. Elizabeth Elliot experienced a lot of suffering. Many of you know her story. Five missionaries going in. I remember it well. 1952, Aka Indians, Ecuador. Five young men, late 20s, early 30s, all slaughtered. Killed by the very people they wanted to help. Two of the wives, Elizabeth Elliot, one of them went back into the jungle. They led to Christ the very men that speared their husbands and a strong church established. She wrote later in her years, I'm not a theologian or a scholar, but I'm very aware of the fact that pain is necessary to all of us. In my own life, I think I can honestly say that out of the deepest pain has come the strongest conviction of the presence of God and the love of God. Isn't that true? Isn't it true when everything is just going so well, it is so easy to get lackadaisical in our time with God? But let a little pain come into your life. Let some suffering come in. Let some heartache. The Lord brings glory out of darkness, strength out of weakness, joy out of sorrow. And he often makes good things richer and more powerful through those bad times. Brother, encounter all joy when you enter into divers' testings because God's at work in your life to produce something that otherwise you wouldn't have. The character of God is sufficient guarantee of the perfection of his works. We don't have the answer of pain, suffering, all the things we experience in life. And we don't know why. We don't know what. But I'll tell you what we know. We know who. We know all things work together with God for good. All things. Nothing missed. Brings us to the second enigma, the free will of man. This is the second major problem that comes up in the discussion of God's almighty sovereignty. And if God is absolutely sovereign in heaven and in earth, then how do the eternal decrees of God relate to man and his freedom for moral choices? And if man cannot exercise freedom of choice, how then can he be held responsible for his conduct? Is he not a mere puppet? Is he not manipulated behind the scenes by a God who pulls the strings like a puppet as it pleases him? Such isn't the case. Classic examples when Peter preached about Christ's death on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. And he looked out to these people gathered who had crucified the Savior. This Jesus delivered up, now listen, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Foreknowledge is not simply that you know something ahead of time. That's not biblical foreknowledge. 
Foreknowledge is a predetermined purpose of what God says he's going to do. Not only that, he knows he's going to do it, he'll execute the plan. Jesus was not a victim on the cross. It was part of God's plan before this world was ever created. He was the lamb slain, what? Before the foundation of the world. Then are the ones who crucified him guiltless? You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He doesn't in any way relinquish man's guilt and accountability. John MacArthur wrote, God used evil men to accomplish his purpose, yet never violated their will or removed their culpability by doing so. When God is sovereign, I believe that he decreed that man should be free to exercise moral choice between good and evil. When man chooses to do evil, he does not circumvent the sovereignty of God, but fulfills it inasmuch as the eternal decree decided not which choice the man should make, but that he should be free to make it. Think about it. Only a sovereign God, all-powerful, all-knowing, could give you the freedom to do what you want to do, though it's restricted, and still accomplish his eternal decrees. Would have been a lot easier just to make a bunch of robots, knowing and dictating everything they're going to do. But he incorporates all that into his sovereign will. And his sovereign purpose moves in its steady course over the sea of history. And we know that God will fulfill every promise made to the prophets. Sinners will someday be cleaned out of the earth. A redeemed race of people will live forever in heaven. Those who reject Christ will spend eternity in suffering hell for all eternity. God's perfections will yet receive universal acclamation. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth will be established. And in the end, all things will redound to the glory of God. That's sovereignty. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. You've got a free choice. It's your choice. Heaven or hell, it's your choice. Well, I don't think it doesn't matter what you think. Well, it doesn't, seem, it doesn't matter what seems reasonable to you. Well, I feel it doesn't matter what you feel. God is God, you're not. Get over it. He sets the boundaries, he sets the rules, he's not going to bend them. You're not God. But you have a choice to make, to acknowledge his sovereignty or to go your way. And look what's happened in your life when you go your own way. What a mess you make out of it. We're all a bunch of messes. And only God's grace redeems us from that. And only God's grace keeps us from that. That's why he gets all the glory. Let's go to the last point, the encouragement from his sovereignty. His kingdom ruleth over all. So if you really want true freedom and true liberty, then you have to come to the point of submitting to the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ. 
and allow him to make us all what he would have us to be. Your home will be so much better if Christ is at the helm. Some of you really need, you need help. And God is there to help you. If you just strip yourself of that arrogancy and pride and bow under his lordship. Four quick encouragements that come from appropriating this truth and then we'll be done. Number one, it will give vibrancy in your worship of God. I admit, I conf- it's a confession, I guess, of sin. I sometimes judge people on the externals without knowing anything of the heart. That's not, that's not good. That's not right. It bothers me when I sit in the back and I see people and chemo's trying to get us as worshiping as a body and some people don't sing. But I don't know what's going on in their heart. Maybe they're singing in their heart and they're just... Can't sing, I don't know what. All I know is when I sing that song like the love of God, great is your faithfulness. Crown him with many crowns. Amazing grace. My Redeemer lives. How do you keep silent? How do you hold back? I, I, I just, I don't get it. You believe in a God whose eternal purposes are thwarted by the evil designs of people and even Satan, he's not worthy of worship. On the other hand, a God who truly rules the affairs of men, heaven and earth, is to be sought after, worshipped and obeyed. Secondly, he'll give comfort in the midst of pain, suffering and death. Charles Spurgeon wrote it well when he says, No attribute is more comforting to his children than his sovereignty, and under the most adverse circumstances and severe trials, they believe sovereignty has ordained him, overruled them, and sovereignty will sanctify them all. You and I know that suffering comes to believers and unbelievers alike. But to the non-believer, they make no sense. And the heart can grow bitter even in opposition. If I really believe God knew this was going to happen to me and he allowed it to happen, the heart can get bitter. I don't want that God. I saw it happen in my own family. Not even with an unbeliever, graduate of a wonderful Christian university, good law school education. Then his best buddy, high school, university, His best buddy was killed in a tragic automobile accident. So he's never the same. If that's the God that allowed this to happen, I'll go the other way. And he's gone. So tragic, so pathetic. On the other hand, I've seen saints suffer greatly all around the world. I see them doing nothing but lifting their voice in praise to God. If you look at God through suffering, he's going to seem awfully far away. 
But if you look at suffering through God, he will draw very near and his greatness will be revealed to you. Furthermore, let me just say this. If you ever meet a person who feels compelled to explain everything, who has a pan answer for every question and a fixed formula for solving every problem, you're listening to a very dangerous man. There is no pat answer. There is no step one, two, three, and four. It's not that simple. Heed the words of the Swiss psychologist Paul Tournier. We are nearly always longing for an easy religion, easy to understand, easy to follow, a religion with no mystery, no insoluble problems, no snags, a religion that would allow us to escape from all our miserable human condition, a religion in which contact with God spares us all strife, all uncertainty, all suffering, and all doubt. In short, a religion without a cross. Christianity has as its focus the cross of Christ. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Keep your eyes on heaven, keep it on eternity, keep it on the spiritual. Because if you look at the physical, the temporal, and the earthly, you'll get awfully down and depressed. Third encouragement from sovereignty, it gives encouragement for evangelism. Those who take sovereignty to extremes don't make good witnesses for Christ. But without a conviction that God's sovereign power What confidence could anyone have in talking to a dead man about a living Savior? Or telling blind men how they can see? Or the cripple how he can walk? God's Spirit can't turn a person's hardened heart toward Christ, then how do we think we can? Also, if we are faithful in giving out the gospel and calling people to faith in Christ, then we realize God's got to do the saving from the beginning to the end. And that delivers me from feeling like a failure when they don't respond. Because that's not my business. My business is to share the truth of the gospel. God must do the rest. Salvation is of the Lord from the beginning to the end. One last one, a fourth one, encouragement, gives a deep sense of security. If we look to ourselves, you and I both know we we have no security. Because when I look at myself, I see three main things. I see the lust of the flesh every day, throughout the day. I see it. It's ugly. It isn't pretty. You're just glad other people can't see it in your heart. But it's there. The lust of the eyes. How often I've looked upon things I shouldn't and lingered. The pride of life, arrogance and pride. That's where I look inside. That brings no security whatsoever. Only when we admit this darkness within can the glorious word grace dawn on our soul. Only when I see the depth of my sin am I electrified by the wonder of grace. And the love of God. And what shall we say when we come to the hour of death? Listen to Paul's great words. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or 
persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that a great, great confidence? That when you start taking that final fleeting breath, or you're with somebody, somebody you love dearly, and you know now just when will the last breath be taken to do nothing shall separate that believer from the love of God. I close with A.W. Pink's words, God's sovereignty is the foundation of Christian theology. The center of gravity in the system of Christian truth, the sun around which all the lesser orbs are, are grouped. That's where we're going this summer. It flows out of his great sovereignty. So in this closing moment, as I pray, and then as Kimo leads us in a final song. Sometimes I plead, sometimes I entreat, sometimes I exhort, sometimes I encourage. You know, in a sense, though would not be well received, I feel like I could command you to submit to the sovereignty of God. It's the only right, logical, thinking man's thing to do. It's certainly the only right thing spiritually to do. And if you've never come to faith in Christ, we're not going to embarrass you, but we want you as you sit there to as you think on these things, just to thank God that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you and rose again and shed his blood for your sins. Trust him as your savior. Let us know if we can help. If you're a Christian struggling and some of you young people, I know it's a hard day out there. I know the stuff that's being floated around and you're battling what is truth and who sets the rules and why do I have this desire if where did it come from? And why can't I just do what I want to do? True joy comes from a submission to the sovereignty of God over your life. His lordship, I promise you. Holy Spirit of God, as you do the work of regeneration and conviction in the heart of the unbeliever, so you do the work of sanctification in the lives of your growing saints. And Lord, you are sovereign over heaven and earth and over this church and over these lives. I pray that we shall acknowledge it gratefully and gladly to your glory. In Christ's name, amen.